Hello, and welcome to Scare You to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott. I hope you're having a good week, and if you aren't, then just know that you're here now. And for a little while, let me take you away to somewhere else where none of your worries reside. We start this week with another story by the beautiful and talented Andre Matthews. Remember, you can listen to Andre's podcast, Bruh, is a Murder, wherever you get your podcasts. This week, he has one that honestly gave me cold chills as I was reading it. I really hope I did it justice. Also, a small trigger warning to my friends who may suffer from PTSD. This contains a battle scene and the sounds of gunshots and men yelling. If you need to skip this one, I completely understand. Your mental health is more important to me than a number in my listener count. Also, this one contains more abrupt noises than I usually do, but I thought the story really needed it, and the second story of the night gets much more gentle for those of you who actually listen to fall asleep. Also, real quick note before we start, sorry to interrupt before we even began, but um, I'd really love it if you could listen to this one with your headphones in. I know some of you listen out loud, but this one sounds, I really designed it to sound the best listening in headphones or earbuds, either one. Okay, bye-bye. I know you guys will love this one. It's called Desert Walkers. Patient 1137, Sergeant Victor Adkins. I know how it sounds. And I know what everyone thinks. You all think my head's fucked. I guess... I guess that's why I'm here, though. Right? I'm not the only one here who's seen some fucked up shit, though. I'm not mad at anyone, I think. I I think I'm crazy, too. I was closest um, to the initial blast. And after watching my whole squad die, after being the only one left, I'm not saying I'm fine, but what happened is what happened. One of our Humvees got deadlined, but we still had to do patrols, show of force and whatnot. Where we were at, we never took contact. Yet. We were there to be a deterrent, so a certain terrorist cell wouldn't come around recruiting new soldiers. Complacency kills is something you hear a lot. Living somewhere for 14 months, driving through the same streets, seeing the same people, feeding the same street cats, it's not hard. Sergeant Luna and I flipped a coin on which of our teams would get to ride in the functional Humvee, and which team had to walk. I thought we got lucky for losing. But I wish we would have been in that Humvee. Sergeant Dunes, our squad leader, took Alpha Team. Sergeant Luna, Private Garcia, Private Brown, and Specialist Aaron inside the Humvee. While me and Bravo Team, 
Private Harper, Private Coons, Specialist Walker, and Specialist Yu walked behind. So, whose dick do I have to suck to get inside that Humvee? Harper said. Dune's dick, apparently. Coons chimed in. But I heard Luna got that covered. No wonder she got that team leader spot. Like, seriously, she's fresh out of OUST. She reclassed from a cook for fuck's sake. How's she leading a team of infantrymen? Walker spun on her heels, walking backwards. See, this is why you'll forever be a private. You're sexist as fuck. He's 19, Walker, you said. Being a dumbass is a part of his personality. We were stupid. We took the same route every day. We made it too easy. People love to say it all happened so fast, but it didn't. Have you ever heard a rocket launcher go off? When it fires, it kind of sounds like a loud bottle rocket. Until it hits its target, of course. I should have known something was going to happen. There were no people on the street. Not a soul. Alpha's Humvee got hit. One of my soldiers yelled, Contact front! And we started returning fire. I heard a round whiz past me. I looked around in my six, took a knee, and started firing. We got contact from the rear, it's an ambush! They had us pinned from both ends in the narrow city block. I had to make a snap decision. I looked to my left and down an alleyway. I remembered from the overlay map where we were. About 500 meters east of us, there was a mosque. We can regroup there. Bravo, we took off down the alleyway, across the playground, and through a building. We took a return fire the whole way. Seven men in total were after us, maybe. That part's fuzzy. It's not like I got a great look at them. When we got to the mosque, we kicked in the door and staged. All four of my guys were on their shit and immediately took up positions in the windows. I tried to radio and back to our ORP, but I couldn't get a signal. I figured it was being blocked. Now it's just a waiting game, because if we don't check in, they'll send out another squad to come find us. In my head, I'm going through a checklist of what I need to do. I gotta check my guys. I looked around the room and counted. First one, two, three, four, then five. Good. Now, hands on. In the heat of battle, your blood's pumping. There's tons of accounts of people who've been shot and have no idea. So you need to pat down your soldiers to check for injuries. I went up to each on where they were staged. I'd pat them down, make sure they have water, ammo, and relay the information I have. So, we're fucked it sounds like, Harper said. Do you think anyone in Alpha made it? Asked Coons. How long are we going to be here? We're sitting ducks, exclaimed you. Who, who's that? Walker whispered shakily. What? I said as I patted her down. She was shaking, but that's to be expected. Sarge, who is that? In the corner. I looked over to where she was gesturing, and only saw Johnson. He was taking a knee and it looked like he was tying his boot. 
You mean Johnson? I said to her. Who the fuck is Johnson? She whispered back to me. I paused. I was about to tell her he's always been with us. He was the new attachment. He's quiet, but a good kid. Before I could rebuttal, I heard you say, Oh my fucking God. Sergeant Terrence, Terrence, open the door! I turned around as you opened the mosque door to a bloody Sergeant Terrence, walking in and collapsing on the ground. Watch your sectors. Walker, help me get her! I yelled. I remembered her. I remembered when she came to our unit. I remembered training with her. And I remember one time we kissed drunkenly. At least, I thought I did. In the moment, I figured it's not possible for her or anyone else in Alpha Team to survive. I should have just took my team and ran, but I didn't know what to do. We laid her down in the back of the mosque. She was unconscious, cold to the touch, and blood was all over her. Walker, help me with her. Fuck! I said. Walker just stood there, as if she saw a ghost. I laid her down and took off her blood-soaked top. I needed to find where she was bleeding from. As I was checking her, I heard the chambering of a round. Get away from her. Walker said as she leveled her rifle to Terrence's chest. What the fuck are you doing, Walker? Lower your weapon. I raised to my feet with my hands stretched out. Sarge, listen to me. There is no Terrence. There never was a Terrence. What are you talking about? We all know Terrence! Shut up. I want to see what she has to say. Walker, shut up! I thought she lost it. The trauma of what had just happened broke her. She was always the smart one. And if it wasn't for her, I had no idea what could have happened. She walked over to where me and Terrence were and looked down at her told her to speak. Terrence's eyes never left mine. She raised up off her back in an upright position and spoke. She said my name, but it wasn't right. It sounded like it sounded like one of those cats from those YouTube videos where it seems like the cat is talking. Just high-pitched, babbling gibberish. She said, And it sent a chill down my spine. I backed up and that's when Walker put two in her chest. Everyone rushed in to see what was happening. There was a lot of yelling, pushing, and explaining. They were scared. I was scared. 
Walker grew up on a reservation, and she said that she heard stories of things like this before. She called called it a skinwalker. And said that they can take the form of other living animals. She said they like to torment people and implant false memories. So you can be hanging out with someone you think you've known for years, and then BAM! It's a skinwalker. As she's telling us this, I'm looking around the room and everyone is in various states of shock or disbelief. What brought me back was when I heard Walker say, So the issue is that there are supposed to be only five people in our squad. And there are seven people in the room. She backed up, raising her rifle. Everyone on their knees. She zip-tied everyone's hands behind their backs and started pacing. I looked around the room and I knew all these faces. Harper, Coons, you, Walker, Turner, and Johnson. This is my team. I love these idiots. We've been whitewater rafting, drinking. I know all of their flaws and their strengths. Harper's the fastest runner here. Coons used to have a horrible stutter when he was a kid. You is a knife fanatic. Walker is the best shot in the company. Turner can pick locks. Johnson can make an amazing cup of coffee. I couldn't tell who was fake and who wasn't. Neither could Walker. She kept pacing the room and making eye contact with each person. This is bullshit. Let us go! Harper barked. Shut up. I need to think. She snapped back. My eyes were drawn to you. He was moving subtly, like he was working something behind his back. Say your name and rank. She said as she leveled her rifle down to Harper's face. What? Name and rank. Just say it. Private Harper. Good. She moved over to me. Sergeant Atkins. Okay, good. She moved over to you. Specialist you. Okay, your turn, she said as she moved her rifle to Coons. He was sweaty and his eyes kept looking back and forth. Name and rank, she said, raising the buttstock of the rifle to her cheek. Hey, give him a chance, I said to her. Last chance, motherfucker. Name and rank. Was all he managed to stutter out before Walker shot him in the head. The back of his head erupted on the wall behind him. After that, everything was in slow motion.
Yu hopped up, hands free from behind his back wielding a knife. He tackled Walker, and they fell into the room where we left Terrence's body. Harper moved quick and ran over to Kuhn's body and squatted over him. Everyone in my team has a seatbelt cutter hooked to their belt, and he must be going for that to uncut himself. I heard the fight going on in the opposite room. Banging, screaming, and glass breaking. Harper finally managed to get the seatbelt cutter and cut through the zip ties. He paused, looking at me, and then looking at Turner, then back at me. He ran over to Turner and started to cut his zip ties. There was a pop from the other room, followed by the sound of a body hitting the floor. Harper freed Turner and moved to work on Johnson. I rose to my feet and backed myself against the wall behind me. There was a wail. A primal wail. A heart pained wail. The wail of someone who just lost a loved one. Harper freed Johnson and in one swift motion Johnson rose to his feet grabbed Harper by the head and snapped his neck Walker emerged out of the room blood on her face and tears in her eyes with her rifle raised she managed to land three rounds in her two in the chest and one in the face before Johnson was on her. While she was firing, he lunged at her and pushed the rifle out of her hands in my direction. I heard a wet thud and felt a burning, hot pain. The wind got knocked out of me. I looked down at my bleeding stomach and collapsed. I looked up to see Johnson on top of Walker as she punched, scathed, and kicked him from underneath. He smiled this unnatural ear-to-ear grin as his hands moved from her neck to her head. He stuck his thumbs in her eyes and started to press down. She screamed and screamed and and screamed. Then, after the screaming stopped, her body just shook then there was nothing I blacked out I thought I was dead until I woke up on the helicopter honestly I 
wish I was dead. I think they knew. And that's why they didn't step foot near that mosque. The locals had to know what we walked into and probably relished in it. It took me a while to remember who was real and who wasn't. After a while, the false memories slowly started to fade away. We shouldn't be there anymore. There aren't just terrorists or a couple locals with AKs we need to worry about. There's some fucked up shit out there. I've been talking to some of the other patients. I know I'm not the only one in this facility who's seen something. This next story is by Kevin Banigan. You remember him from his creepy caretaker story called The Road to Retirement, an episode Curiouser and Curiouser. Well, he's back with a vampire story. You know, I don't get a lot of two things, vampires or zombies, and I always thought I would get more of those. And this one is very beautifully done. It takes a very different direction, and I hope you enjoy it. It's called remembering ourselves. January 22nd. Thankfully, they gave me pen and paper. It is the only reason that I have not passed the brink of insanity. It's ironic, in this day of advanced technology, one of man's oldest tools may well be my mind's savior. Being jailed is never easy, everyone knows that, but this is especially true for those, like myself, who have done nothing wrong. I am merely here because I happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Guilty by association, I was told. Is that an official charge? I asked. Don't be a smartass, they replied. I guess that's what happens when your name is Eldwin, and you're a vampire who's 118 years old. 62 years ago, my humanity ended. Better late than never, I suppose. The difference between my first years as a vampire and the past five is truly remarkable. Depending how history plays itself out, oh enlightened reader of the future, this may require some explanation. Vampires used to have to sneak around in the night, stealing blood from humans. Usually the humans recovered from our bites and life went on, but sometimes they were turned. And sometimes they died. It was unfortunate, but it was just the way things were. I myself was attacked one night while camping with friends. The vampire responsible for turning me didn't mercilessly slaughter the four of us or leave our bodies dismembered, as many vintage vampire stories would have one believe happens. She got her fill by 
biting me in the butt cheek while I was taking a leak in the wee hours of the morning. By the time I turned, my attacker had vanished, her long black hair streaming behind her. Two weeks later, as I left in the morning to go to work, the sun was shining in a cloudless, bright sky, and the rush of heat that coursed through my body as it hit my skin caused my knees to buckle. It is only by pure luck that I fell backwards into my garage where the sun's rays couldn't quite reach me. I lay there in pain for a long while. I would have cried, but of course my vampiric body could not produce tears. When I finally got control of myself, I called my boss to explain my situation. I was promptly fired. So much for equal opportunity employment. Okay, with that out of the way, I'd like to share with whomever may read this what happened the other day, resulting in my incarceration. It's no secret that the newly instated tax hit the vamps hard, and that the higher price of blood caused many of us to cut back on our daily feeding. This, in turn, perhaps understandably, caused some of my kind to become aggressive. What did they think would happen? I'm not making excuses for those bad seeds, but the president had to expect some sort of backlash. Dr. Vordenberg, who perfected the formulation of synthetic blood a decade ago, spoke publicly about the dangers of this new tax. His creation had, of course, been a godsend. This alternative food supply had paved the way for the formerly unthinkable. Man and vampire, side by side. Unsurprisingly, though, his plea to the government fell on deaf ears. Seeing as the day was overcast, I drove my cab around. It ain't much, but I have a long time ahead of me to consider a career change if I so desire. For now, life is simple, and that's fine. While looking for anyone who needed a ride, I happened to drive down Belmont Avenue or an argument between an elderly couple and a young male vampire was in full swing. I could see the young vamp becoming agitated. I could also see by his bluish pallor that he was slightly starved. I decided to intervene. I parked my cab and got out to hear the young vampire's voice, which was on the verge of becoming much louder. Accepting that the world will never be completely free of prejudice against us undead, is something some of us will never be able to do. Humans are not perfect, so why are we expected to be? When I was 20 feet from the confrontation, I saw a look in the young vampire's eyes I have seen a thousand times. He squinted, and the tip of his tongue just barely became visible as it brushed the front of his upper lip. Before I could yell for him to stop, the young vampire was at the old man's neck. His fang shot out, and grabbing the man's shoulders, he pitched him backwards. The man's back hadn't yet touched the sidewalk before the front of his throat was ripped open. A thin line of blood ran down the man's neck. The rest of the gushing blood went straight into the vamp's mouth and down his throat. Just that quickly, the vampire's skin regained its normal, healthy tone. The old woman screamed. A nearby woman removed a can of garlic spray from her purse. She ran up to the feeding vamp and caught him in the face with a knife. 
The jet of garlic incapacitated him instantly. I stopped dead in my tracks. I now know what the worst feeling in the world is. It's the feeling of standing close to a tragedy that you could have prevented. But knowing that you were a fraction too late. Two police officers tackled me to the ground. I didn't resist and tried to assure them of my innocence, but one of their knees was firmly on my back and my face was pressed into the pavement. I obliged when one of the officers told me to shut up. From my position, there was just enough room for me to see what was going on in front of me. Two more officers, one with his gun drawn, approached the vampire. One of them ordered him to lay on his stomach and spread his arms. He flipped them off, making a threatening hiss. A gun fired twice, and he crumpled to the pavement. The legend of a vampire only dying from a wooden stake in the heart is now so old-fashioned it's hardly remembered. In reality, a bullet to the brain is just as deadly to a vamp as it is to a human. Having reflected on the entire situation numerous times, I can't blame the officers for what they did. Vampires strike fast and rarely fail when their objective is murder. Plus, the young vamp did kill first. I can, however, hate the officers who brought me directly to jail without so much as a question of what happened. My pleas for a phone call have been ignored. I am weak having only been fed a small, snack-sized serving of blood once a day. It's enough to keep me alive, but not by much. Hunger pains can be felt throughout my body. Here's my theory. The humans have become paranoid. They are well aware that the new law doubling the price of synthetic blood has caused a panic among my kind. They're afraid to let us go, for fear we might retaliate. Yet, they are equally afraid to just kill us off, for fear of social backlash. Currently, the human-to-vampire ratio is roughly 12 to 1. If an all-out war between us broke out, the results would be horrific. A huge amount of the population would perish, and when the dust cleared... Many believe vampires would be left to rule the earth. With Dr. Vordenberg's genius creation, vamps no longer need humans to survive. And they know it. We vampires, by and large, are happy with our synthetic blood. We no longer race around as soon as the sun sets, searching for our next pint the way a drug addict frantically searches for his next fix. We've become complacent, perhaps too complacent, that has allowed us to be taken advantage of. Prisons for vampires are rapidly becoming overcrowded. The most minor offense warrants incarceration. Perhaps I'm simply paranoid, but I believe the vampire population is slowly being weaned down. All the way down. I've heard rumors of what happens to vamps in these places. I try to tell myself that this is the 22nd century. Vampires have rights that would not be violated in such horrific ways. 
I suppose I'll just have to wait then. It is now a few hours later. I stopped writing so suddenly because I smelled blood. As soon as the guard entered the wing with our meal, all 42 vampires on this block immediately rose from our beds and dashed to our cell doors. Everyone back, shouted the second guard. We will feed you one at a time. You will each sit on your bunk and wait until we have placed the cup in the small hatch in the middle of your door. You will not come to claim your blood until you are told to do so. If anyone acts the least bit out of line, his blood will be flushed down the toilet and you will go without for today. Have I made myself clear? He had, but the only response from the prisoners was an icy silence. Now, sit your asses on your beds and be patient, growled the second guard. Forty-two asses did, indeed, hit their respective bunks. My hunger grew with each step the guards took. They finally reached my cell, saying it required every bit of my patience not to lunge off my bunk would be an understatement. You're one of the newbies, said guard number two. Yes, sir, I replied. I am Officer M. This is Officer J. We both go by boss. Got it? Yes, sir. Excuse me? He held the plastic cup up and tilted it as if about to pour it onto the floor. For a second, I almost panicked. I mean, yes, boss. I managed. They placed the cup of blood just inside my cell door and moved on. My best guess is that I was served eight ounces of synthetic blood. Normally to me, that is just enough to curb the appetite. Today it both satisfied and tortured me. I really hope they feed us tomorrow. As I said, this was hours ago. My energy is diminishing. This place might not be Satan's hangout, but it has to be pretty damn close. January 23rd. What was witnessed today was the very definition of the word. Tragedy. If my heart were still beating, it would certainly have burst into pieces. It was yard time, which only happens for one hour twice a week. It was my first time out in the yard, which is basically a large square of gravel with 30-foot walls made of cement. On sunny days, a large tarp is spread across the top of the square. Only a bit of sunlight can creep through, nowhere near enough to do any harm. The yard was filled to maximum capacity. I strolled around, feeling as lethargic as a human would, were he to be my true age. The energy I had gained from yesterday's small ration of blood had completely worn off. After strolling just two laps around the yard, I needed to rest. I sat down in a corner and chatted for a moment with another elderly vamp. He told me he's been there three months. I don't know how I've survived this long, he said. The bags beneath his eyes were so black I could have sworn he was wearing makeup. I'm not ashamed to say... 
the way he looked frightened me. If that was the result of just three months in prison, then what would become of one in three years or three decades? Suddenly, a group of armed guards entered the yard and told us to stand against the east wall with our hands up. One of the guards pointed to a prisoner just to the left of me. He then ordered every inmate to his right, roughly half of us in the yard, inside. I was the last inmate inside. The guards followed behind. Everyone in the common area, one of them shouted. The commons was the state's fancy word for the controlled environment in which we can socialize while rifles are pointed at us from guards on the balcony. In the commons, we were ordered to line up against the front wall, which had a three-foot section of tinted, bulletproof glass in the middle. We could see out into the yard where the remaining vampires huddled in the shade. There have been rumors of a conspiracy spreading among inmates. We couldn't see who was speaking, because we were too scared to turn around. The warden is not happy. He feels that a gentle reminder of what happens to conspirators is just what this place needs. Outside, the tarp was pulled back. The sun's rays rained down like acid. We watched our vampire brothers burn. I have no doubt their shrieks will haunt me for quite some time. With nothing but cement walls on all four sides, they became desperate and turned on each other. I hate to admit this, but I probably would have done the same thing. A few of the vamps worked together to lift one of the fallen in an attempt to shield themselves from the sun. But ultraviolet rays don't merely burn us. They disintegrate our flesh. Soon the bodies shriveled to half their original size and offered virtually no protection. After fifteen long minutes, only a thick blanket of ashes covered most of the yard. I was furious, ready to turn on the guards behind me and rip their throats out, but I didn't dare. One of the vamps further down the line attempted to do just that. For his trouble, he was given a liquid garlic shower and shot in the head. The garlic fumes were strong enough to make the rest of us gag. Anyone else feeling stupid? shouted a guard. We remained silent. One by one, we were escorted back to our cells. Guns pointed at our heads, fear and pain in our non-beating hearts. As soon as we entered our cell block, we smelled blood. Sure enough, there was a small plastic cup sitting on each of our bunks. I know I'm not the only one who felt the guilt build up as the blood went down, but that didn't alter the fact that it did go down nor the fact that we were thankful to our wonderful guards for allowing us this treat. For the first time in probably 20 years, since the death of my only daughter, an unchanged human, I wanted to cry. As strange as it may sound, it might have brought me comfort to feel tears gliding down my cheeks. 
February 19th. I haven't written in almost a month because of the risk of my thoughts falling into the wrong hands. But tomorrow, we make our move. When I came to this prison, there were at least a thousand other inmates. As of now, my best guess is that maybe 300 remain. We don't know how they get away with this injustice, but it doesn't matter anymore. Tomorrow, we live or die. Most likely, death awaits us, but it's our choice to make one final attempt at freedom. I've never had even the slightest suicidal tendency, but death, in all its eternal blackness, would be far better than remaining here. It was two weeks ago when things changed. One of the guards was taunting a tough young vampire named Bryce Simmons when the vamp caught him by surprise. Within seconds, he had ripped his handcuffs apart and pounced upon the guard. He was quickly cut down from behind, but not before digging his fangs into the officer's bicep. We were in the common area again, all of us pressed against the wall, watching in awe as a swarm of officers pulled the vamp off, desperately trying to force his jaws open. The bitten guard could only scream in agony. They finally did free the guard and Simmons was swiftly executed. But his death was not in vain. It helped us remember who we were. We remembered what it was like to hunt in the night, to see the fear in human eyes. We are the superior species. We will decide our own fate. I was at a table with seven other vamps. You know, said Ferris, if we had all attacked while they were distracted, we could have overpowered them. What he suggested was insane. But none of us laughed. Instead, we all nodded. What came after was inevitable. Hank, a prisoner for six months, acted as sort of the chief operator. Vampires often form a special mental bond with those they love the most. He shares this with his wife, who lives in an apartment half a mile away, just close enough to telepathically inform her of our plan. It was important that she got the details right, as we are only allowed visitors once every three months, the bare minimum as set by United States law. Three days ago, during yard time, Hank finalized the plan. How much do you have, Grant? Grant had managed to steal a few used synthetic blood vials from the trash and place them in the crack found in the floor below his bed. Over the past few weeks, he's drank just enough of his rationed blood to survive and pour the rest into these vials. In order to conceal this from the guards, Blake had to pour all of the blood into his mouth, swallow just a little bit of it, and spit the rest into the vials. I cringe, thinking of the mental anguish he's gone through. Enough to tear this place down if I drink it all. His words were the point of no return. I felt better than I had in a long time. One look around the table told me I wasn't alone. 
An armed guard approached and we quickly changed the topic to mundane things. We spoke of our families, something that had been too painful to address when all seemed hopeless. When it came time for me, I simply said, I'll pass. You bloodsuckers are such a tragic bunch, said the guard. He laughed loudly. We laughed silently. He's right, I whispered when he left. The others gave me odd glances. I, for one, am ready to cause some tragedy. We went back to our cells. I would bet every last penny that my block buddies got as little sleep as I did. We crave the night. We need blood. Real blood. The next time we are fed, we will make our move. February 20th. The screams of the two guards on meal duty were quickly silenced as I heard the sound of metal bending at Grant's cell. We have no idea what awaits us outside of the airlock door to our cell block, but whatever it is, we are ready. They will pay for how they've treated us. I am proud to be a vampire. The cell door next to mine has just opened. Here goes nothing. Here goes everything. Thanks for listening. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's stories. I also hope you're enjoying the sounds I'm playing. I finally had some time to upload all the sounds I recorded on my new Tascam DR40 during my travels in Oregon and on the road trip to and from. This was from a hiking trail through the woods that my brother took us on. Just some nice forest ambiance. Now, for my Patreon shoutouts. Just a reminder, actually, since I haven't mentioned this in a while, my Patreon has three tiers. All three tiers have access to all of my bonus episodes, but the $1 tier gets you a shoutout on the podcast, the $5 tier gets you a shoutout, and I will mail you a Scary to Sleep sticker. Even if you're international, I mail all over the world. And the $10 tier will get you the first two plus a handwritten letter from me on some creepy hand-done stationery as a fun little creepy souvenir. My Patreon shout-out this week is for Karen. Thank you so much, Karen. I'm sending hugs and happiness your way. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and if you want to interact more with the show, you can find us on Reddit and Facebook. If you have a submission for the show, please email it to scarytosleep at gmail.com. I've gotten a few submissions through different messaging apps like Facebook, and I have to say it's really hard for me to remember those submissions. I don't always have time to read them right away, and sometimes they just kind of, you know how messaging apps work, especially Facebook. It just kind of goes away, especially if we're not friends. I just said especially a bunch of times. <laughs> um, anyway, um, since I don't always have time to read them right away, um, if you email them to me, I specifically, if I don't have time to sit down at that moment, I will put them in a folder to remind me that they need to be read and what's already been on the show and all that good stuff. 
So please just email it to me. Or even if you need to use the contact form on my website, that also goes straight to my email address. So if that's easier for you, feel free to use that contact form on scarytosleep.com. All right. I think that's all for now. Now, go get some sleep. Sweet dreams. Our faith is our shield. If Altman was divinely inspired, why did he have to die? Our sword... Back off! Stay back! And our guide. There are those who will infiltrate. I want you to go undercover. And corrupt us. When do I start? It will make us whole. Clean incision. I'll clean up the bleeding. This may be the worst idea I've ever had. Dead Space Deep Cover is available now. New episodes every other week. You can find Dead Space Deep Cover on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at bloody.fm.